Hello and welcome to Unboss with yours truly, Nina Turner. So happy to be with you on this fine Monday. And guess who I have with me? Jessica Burbank. And Jessica is a Rebel HQ contributor here at TYT. Jessica, welcome to the show. It's so good to be on with you, Senator Turner. Yeah, excellent. I'm glad to have you. And I want everybody to know Jessica will be with us weekly. So this is so exciting for us here on Unboss. So a special needs man was attacked. And we know that lying is part of the DNA of most races. And but oftentimes this can have very sad and unfortunate consequences for the person that they are lying about. I want you to take a look at this. I'm recording you. Let go of the man's neck. Record. Let go of his neck. He's not going he Stole anywhere. the bike right out of a friend of sir. mine's yard. Let go of his oh, Let go of his neck. I did it. I did Let go of his neck. I did okay, it. I did it. You're fine. You ain't oh, gonna no, hold his oh, neck. Oh, no. Sir. I did it. That was heartbreaking to see that on display. We know what happens when vigilantes are allowed to just run wild and do whatever they want to do. A haunting reminder. Makes me think a lot about Emmett Till and others who have been falsely accused. This is exactly what happened here. So two factors are at play here. One is the young man is being choked out. As if what happened to George Floyd wasn't enough. As if everybody in the world doesn't know what happened to George Floyd. This white man had the pure unadulterated gall to put his hands around this young black man's neck. He didn't hesitate to do that. Do you hear me? Did you see that? Did you see it? Did you see it? He did not hesitate to do it. So one, being choked out. Two, this young man has special needs. So it's just bad enough all around, but complicated by the fact that this young man has special needs. Take a look at this. No, go get his mom or go get somebody that where he lives. He doesn't know. I don't know what kind of bike. It's a green one. So this man, white man, who put his hands around that young black man's neck, thought that the young black man stole his friend's bike. And then as we saw and also heard in this last clip that we just played, he really didn't know what color his friend's bike was. So the assumption is young black man, gotta be a thief. Yeah, has to be, because that's in the DNA of those folks. You, you see how this is working? And the man, the white guy actually told on himself because he didn't actually know the color of his friend's bike. And you heard that he's on the phone with the cops, with the police saying he really doesn't know. But he decided to take matters in his own hands anyway. He was wrong all day long, 24 seven, what he did, his actions were wrong. If in fact he thought that the young black man stole his friend's bike, he should have picked up the phone and called the police not take matters in his own hands, literally in his own hands and feel so comfortable, so cool, so calm and so damn collected to put his hands on this young black man. Jessica. Yeah, Milwaukee, the systemic racism really runs deep. This is the same city where the police department and the DA's office ignored Jeffrey Dahmer, despite his neighbors calling time and again. 
that he was assaulting, murdering, and raping black victims overwhelmingly. And right now, the DA and the police officers in Milwaukee are also turning a blind eye to what happened here in this case. Milwaukee is the same city that struggles with having very few voting locations. When Madison, a city with a lower population, has far more voting locations and is overwhelmingly a white city comparatively. And so the systemic racism runs deep in Milwaukee and the lack of action on behalf of people who are supposed to be leaders in our justice system just reinforces how racist our justice system really is. Yeah, and I I, I shudder to even call it a justice system. Legal right. system is working as it is designed and so many of us are working to really make it a justice system, but I hear you. And thank God, that, Jessica, that there was a good Samaritan by the name of D'Angelo Wright and he intervened. Uh, listen to what he had to say. He recorded all of this. We're going to put up what he had to say, rather. I hurried up and got out of my car and intervened as quick as possible to kind of figure out what was going on. Uh, that is from Wright, and thank God that he did. And one cannot help to think about the murder of Elijah McClain, another young black man with special needs whose life was cut short. Now, unfortunately, in this case, the outcome, or fortunately, I should say, the outcome of this case was much different. Thank God for Good Samaritans, and thank God that the community is continuing to rally around this young man. Throughout the week, Vaughn Mays led multiple protests and was joined by members of the Milwaukee Black Panthers and other Black Lives Matter activists to bring attention to the October 10th incident. Very glad they are doing that. That is according to the Atlantic Black Star. And it is indeed a good thing that the community is still rallying and standing strong because unfortunately the police have not. And I know that is not a surprise just because you kind of mentioned that. So the Milwaukee Police Department nor the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office have released any statement about the incident or indicated whether the man who put his hands around the neck of this young black man will face criminal charges. The video accentuates just how dangerous it is to be black in America. And time and time again, these are not stories that are far and few in between. These stories happen regularly and they happen all across the country. Let's take a look at this quote from Von Mays, who is an activist. And Von says, stuff like this is happening all over the country. People playing vigilante. We saw what happened with Ahmad, and she's speaking of Ahmad Aubrey, and all these different cases. These situations have historically ended badly for black people. Jessica. Yeah, this really reminds me of what just happened with Alex Mingus over in St. Paul, where he saved the life of a man bleeding out on the sidewalk. And he tried to flag down police officers and he said seven to eight squad cars just drove right past him. And then he was given an award for valor for stepping up in that situation and protecting a member of the community. So the real justice system is the people. And Mingus said in his speech when he accepted his award for valor that the police don't make him feel safe and he really didn't want to be there. And it's actually the people and the members of the community that keep the community safe. And that's consistent across the country, which is demonstrated with this. Yeah, indeed, and his t-shirt, I mean, even if he hadn't said yeah. another word, the t-shirt <laughs> said it all about doing away with the white supremacy and what courage it took for him 
to stand up there in that moment and make that kind of declaration. Because really that moment was about lifting him. And he took the opportunity to use the moment to remind folks that white supremacy is alive and well, and that we must do something about it. And he talked about the systemic challenges within police departments all over the country. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump. And you ain't black. Yosa Dio and Kevin DeLeon have not resigned. They have refused to resign. Um, they are staying in office and refusing um, to be held accountable for their actions and their words. Um, and so we've been camping out here in front of Kevin DeLeon's house since Saturday night. Tonight is night five and we're not going to stop until he resigns. I want to remind you that uh, we have things going on in LA. You may recall the story that we did about the LA City Council. Grassroots folks are still calling for two other of those council members to resign. They have not done so yet. So two council members are resisting calls for the resignation after the racist remarks made by former LA Council President Nuri Martinez. An activist from Black Lives Matter Los Angeles are holding 24-7 protests outside of Kevin DeLeon's houses until he resigns. We have one of those activists right here with us, looking forward to that. And I want you to take a look at this tweet from Black Lives Matter LA. We have a long history of black and brown solidarity because smashing white supremacy benefits us all. Kevin DeLeon betrays the history, that history and must resign now, how true. And it does, white supremacy hurts us all. It doesn't just hurt black people, this is indeed. And and Jessica, you were there, you were there this weekend. So tell us, what did you see, what did you observe? It's true, I've been camping out all weekend and that's a really good message because you might think, well, these anti-racist or these anti-black comments that were incredibly racist were directed towards the black community and the Oaxacan community. But when you really think about it, when the city is voting to give $3.2 billion to the police, that's money even if you're not a victim of police brutality and you have no problems with the police. That is money that could have gone to your schools. That's money that could have gone to improving infrastructure and healthcare. Every single person in the city of Los Angeles has a stake in getting racist city council members out. No one wants to live in a city where this is happening, but really what's going on on the ground there is we all showed up in protest because we were angry. We wanna get Kevin DeLeon out. But what's really happened over the past nine to 10 days that we've been out there is a community has been built and people are having really important conversations about how to come out of this stronger. And it's way bigger than Los Angeles because there are people all around the country that have been elected to public office and are not serving the interests of the people. And what they've said isn't on recordings. And now we're sending a message that if you're going to do this in this country, you're going to be held accountable. That's it, and it does take the community to hold elected officials accountable. And Jessica, so happy that you're out there on the front lines along with others. And apparently there are no hard and fast rules for members of city council in terms of whether they resign or they don't resign. And the fact that he was in the room basically amening what Martinez had to say. These not only racist remarks, let me remind you anti-black remarks as she made these kinds of statements about one of her colleagues son, a young, a black boy, little boy. 
And thankfully, uh, the councilman De Leon has been stripped of most of his council duties. So he's just really there right now collecting a paycheck and resisting. Let's put up this headline. De, De Leon vows, I will not resign. Council president says apology uh, isn't enough. And that is the new council president, not Martinez. The new council president came in, baby, got with the hammer. Letting them know we're not playing games here. This kind of behavior will not be tolerated and good for him. And progressives are right now rallying and advocating for a recall. So don't forget, hundreds, hundreds marched through downtown a couple of weeks ago. Let's put up this next headline. Following city council members' racist remarks, hundreds march for justice in LA. And it is indeed a beautiful thing that they did. We will be right back with more, so don't you go anywhere. Stay right with us. Welcome back to the show. Let's read some of our viewers' comments before we get to that. You know what I'm going to say. Let us remember that Brittany Griner is still not free. So if you are on social media, please use your social media platform with hashtag WeRBG. WeRBG. We're going to talk about this every single day. Her family needs our positive energy. They need our thoughts and our prayers, and we need our government to act. So let's hope that this happens really soon. And then also remember that our sisters and brothers and family and friends in Jackson, Mississippi still do not have clean water. We here at TYT are doing what we can with you. We can't do it without you. So please donate whatever you can. It does not have to be a whole lot, just a little bit. Many hands make for light work. So if many of us will donate just a little bit, it will go a long way. And you can go to tyt.com relief, that is TYT dot com slash relief. Let's get to our viewer comments. Jessica, this is my favorite part of the show. Stop Dragon says, Nina, everything you do restores the hope I have lost over the years. Thank you for restoring my faith. Stop Dragon, thank you. You restoring my faith just with those words and helping me to know that we all have to keep on keeping on. So thank you, baby, for those beautiful words. And we have Sherry says, hey, Nina. I finally am able to watch your show. Welcome to TYT. Sherry, thank you so very much. And to all of our viewers and our supporters, we appreciate you. Not only Unbossed, but the TYT Network. We could not do what we do without each and every one of you. We are a big community doing big things to be the change that we want to see in the world. So thank you so very much. Pregnant woman workplace suicide. Now this story is very sad, so I just want to caution you ahead of time. A pregnant UPS worker was found dead at her workplace. Let's put up this headline. After US a UPS worker suicide, employees disclosed tragic conditions at largest facility. Reveal UPS worker workers tell the Guardian that intense quota pressures, injuries, and unclean and unsafe environment and understaffing take a heavy toll on the workers. So the UPS Woodport facility is the largest automated packing 
sorting facility in the world in Louisville, Kentucky, with 70 aircraft docks and 155 miles of conveyor belts. The site is larger than the Mall of America and employs around 20 thousand workers and is capable of handling 115 packages a second. 115,000 packages, or excuse me, 115 packages a second. That is, that's, that's a lot of packages. So working conditions at this facility have recently come under scrutiny in the wake of a recent workplace suicide of a pregnant worker with claims from workers that she had recently been fired. So we know that these workers spoke, you know, they, they didn't want to be revealed because they feared retaliation. So glad I want to thank Michael at The Guardian for bringing this to light. So a pregnant woman was fired. Allegedly, she was fired for falling asleep on the job. She went to the bathroom, the story in the, the reporting from The Guardian, went to the bathroom to collect herself. And she never came out of that bathroom. She was not found dead until later on that day. She died at the facility. So no one, and I do agree with this, that no one can ever know the true reason why someone takes their life. But workplace suicides are on the rise. They are in the US and they have risen dramatically in recent years and reached a record level in 2019. That happened last year for which this is the data from last year for which the Bureau of Labor Statistics has the data. The workers death which happened on October 5th is under investigation by the Louisville Metro Police. Let's put up this chart from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and it shows us very clearly that worker suicides are going up, 307 workplace suicides in 2019. That is up 39% since the year 2000. And this data again is coming from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That was another story that Michael did for the Guardian. So after news of the death broke, workers at UPS Ward Port spoke to the Guardian about the conditions of the site under amenity. Obviously, we know that they want to be anonymous for fear that there would be some type of retaliation. Let's put up what the workers name the concerns are at this facility. Intense productivity and quota pressures, common injuries on the job, unclean environment, worn out equipment and understaffing. This sounds a lot like Amazon, but we're not talking about Amazon. We're talking about UPS right now, but the conditions sound very, very similar. One UPS worker framed it this way, the working conditions are tragic. That is a strong word, tragic. Jessica? Yeah, you're right. This is like Amazon, but it's UPS and it's many corporations in the United States. And you're right that we cannot imagine why someone would decide to take their own life. We can't put ourselves in their brains and in their souls. But listen, she was fired because she fell asleep on the on the job. A pregnant woman, someone who was working while pregnant was so exhausted that they fell asleep on the job. And the response was retaliation and firing, not a reevaluation of what those working conditions and benefits are. It is disgusting that work people spend so many hours hours of their lives in these warehouses in unsafe conditions. The working conditions are tragic. What they really mean is they are inhumane. No human being should have to go through that. And when you're living life day in and day out, coming home exhausted from the work you do. And when you're in the warehouse, you're pretty much a cog in the machine. You're a part of the production line. You lose your humanity. How do you retain any any mental health? 
in in those conditions, especially while pregnant. And to be treated like you're expendable if you get so tired you fall asleep, this is every day in America. This is the cost of people getting their packages on time, getting things a little bit cheaper, and it's not worth it. None of that is worth us losing human lives, but that's the reality in the United States today, and that's why we've got to fight against it. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, Jessica. I was just thinking how much things have changed just even over the last 10 years. People being forced to work on Thanksgiving now, people working on Christmas. There was once upon a time in the olden days where that was not the case. And all of us, each and every one of us has a role to play in this. This does not absolve places like UPS and Amazon and other major corporations that treat their employees this way. It does not absolve them from their responsibility to make sure that there are safe working conditions, that the working conditions are comfortable for the type of work that people are doing. We're talking about this is physical labor. And the reason why I am saying that all of us are responsible in some way is because of the point that Jessica just made. We are addicted to getting our packages very quickly in less than 24 hours in some cases and you bet you best believe that UPS is in competition with Amazon and it is this competition that drives this kind of outrageous management or mismanagement at these facilities where they work workers to the bone and not even take care or concern about how they are feeling. Also, the workers here mentioned that there's no air conditioning. We're talking about Louisville, Kentucky, and there's no air conditioning. There have been multiple stories about how a lot of the UPS trucks, Jessica, that the drivers are in do not have air conditioning. And they they actually had thermostats in those trucks to show all of us how hot it really is in those trucks. Yeah, and the corporations are lobbying our politicians to not regulate them so that the working conditions, there's there's no laws that are going to protect these workers from these conditions. And the one response they have is to come together and form a union. And what do they get in response? Unprecedented union busting, corporations taking illegal actions against workers who are exercising their right to organize. And we don't have Congress, the administration, or Marty Walsh really stepping up and fighting for workers and using their power to defend these people who are just trying to survive and pay their bills. Yeah, exactly. That I mean, it's really, it's really cruel, and the feds are allowing this. And state governments need to step in here too. This doesn't have to be this way. These corporations need to be held accountable. But again, we, the consumers, have to rethink and understand that we are also complicit in this. We need to make better demands. Make sure that our sisters and brothers and our family and friends who are doing this physical labor to make sure that packages get their own time, that we have their back. And in this case, we should absolutely have their back. This is unacceptable. The state needs to step in and do an investigation. The Attorney General of Kentucky should step in and the federal government should absolutely step in. And just for the part of the UPS workers, they do have a union, it's the Teamsters. Mm -hmm. And these unions are constantly under pressure to continue to push back against these types of work conditions. It's unfair, it is absolutely unfair and we all have to bear the burden of this.
Yeah, I remember when the UPS drivers were passing out, I was looking into the contract the Teamsters have, and the workers were ready to strike, right? When you're passing out because you're so hot, workers could lose their lives on the job. Yes. And the contract says they have to get approval from the president to strike, and the president said they didn't plan on striking until they were fighting for a new contract the following summer. Workers could lose their lives before then, so the unions have to step up for their employees as well. That's right, and not conduct the leaders of those unions not be involved in backroom deals with the management when it comes to challenging the bosses of these places. And even those but those truck drivers also, there were stories about them running through water, you know, water hoses that were out on lawns just to cool down because it was so extraordinarily hot in the truck. So please for all of us stand up for these workers. Be in solidarity with them because they need us. We need them and they need us. And we need to get over this 24 hour mentality. I mean, it's, it really is killing people. So let's stand up and support our sisters and brothers. Poll watchers in Arizona. So there are people in Arizona who have decided that they are going to be right there in front of the polling places with shotguns and pickup trucks. Yes, your eyes are not deceiving you. What you just witnessed was those folks in those trucks with shotguns at a polling place. Yeah. I would say that that is intimidation. And as much as those on the ultra right continue to talk about how the elections are rigged and that there is a rampant voter fraud. Voter fraud is illegal, yes it is, but so is voter intimidation. And they just making this stuff up as they go. You know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And these folks have a lot of good stories, but not a whole lot of truth. Jessica, I'm just flabbergasted, quite honestly, to see these people in pickup trucks with shotguns in front of polling places. Yeah, this is an intimidation tactic. I mean, that person sitting on the back of the truck looks like one of the Charlottesville protesters. They look like someone who showed up on January 6th. You know exactly what type of person this person is. We know the look by now, we know why they're out there. They are fighting against any kind of expansion of voting rights and making voting more accessible. Ballot boxes where you can drop off your vote is a reasonable response to people who can't cast a ballot on election day because most people are working. Most people have families to go home and take care of. They don't have time to go out and vote in person. And now their response to this one step that's been made to make voting more accessible is to intimidate them to not use the ballot boxes. This is a modern day Jim Crow. That's exactly what this is. We know exactly what kind of people they're trying to discourage from voting. This is in Maricopa County. They've been calling the people who are using the ballot boxes mules, people who are just like harboring votes to use the term mule. When someone's just trying to go and vote in Maricopa County where there are a ton of Latinos, that's a racist dog whistle, if not yeah, just openly racist. Yeah, it is. And look at the gear that they were wearing. I mean, full out tactical gear, really, in Mesa, Arizona. I just, 
I mean, you just gotta kind of wonder what is going through the minds of people that would even use any of their energy and time to do things like this. And the police confirmed that they were armed. I mean, they had flat out magazine clips and acting as though just, I thought they were going off to war. The way they were looking, they actually looked like they were going off to war. And I want you to remember when Joe Biden won Arizona and Republicans couldn't believe it. So Maricopa County, the largest county in Arizona, emerged as a key election denial flashpoint in 2020. As Trump supporters baselessly accused local officials of engaging in fraud to deny the former president a second term. President Joe Biden narrowly won that state in 2020, a victory that was subsequently confirmed by a GOP led review of the vote count. And even then that was not good enough. And the county knows that this is happening. We have received four reports forwarded by the Arizona Secretary of State's office. We encourage any voter who feels threatened, harassed, or intimidated to report it. It is unacceptable and unlawful to impede any voter from participating in the election. These folks need to be arrested. I mean, they, they absolutely need to be arrested. Who's gonna walk up there or even want to put their ballot in the box? When you see mad men, and maybe there's some mad women with them too, dressed like that. As if they're on the hunt, because that's exactly what they look like, that they are on the hunt. Here's what one complaint said, let's put this up. Cameo clad people taking pictures of me, my license plates, as I dropped our mail in ballots in the box. When I approached them asking names, the group they're with, they wouldn't give anything. They asked why I wanted to know. Well, it's because it's a personal attack. And this was one of the complainants in Maricopa County. But this isn't new, just last week, a group called Clean Elections USA said this. We're just out here watching boxes. And before I make any kind of statement or anything, I'd like to get in the suntan, getting some vitamin D. So you're getting vitamin D or you're watching the drop boxes? And that was a good question by that reporter, Jessica. Getting vitamin D or you watching the drop boxes? And if you're getting vitamin D, why do you feel the need to get that vitamin D down at the pole in place? Why can't you get that vitamin D in your yard at home where you live? That was a great question. Yeah, what's the secret there? Who sent them out there? Who do they have to go and call to get permission to talk to the press? And seriously, for so long, people have quietly been purging the voter rolls. They've been quietly gerrymandering districts to dilute black votes in this country. And so long as people are quiet when these things are slowly happening, now we've reached a point where people feel bold enough that they can just show up and intervene with elections directly. Not only people who are giving very partisan trainings to people who are supposed to be carrying ballots from polling places to counting places who are supposed to be nonpartisan, totally neutral entities. Now they're getting trainings with very specific instructions and being taught this idea that there will be fraud, that you should anticipate it. That's really where we're at that's in this it. country. And if you've been quiet for so long about all of this going on, that's what leads us to this point. That's exactly right. A lot of these folks who are wired to believe that it's just this rampant fraud going on have been wired this way by the rhetoric from the ultra right. 
And the truth of the matter is that there's very little voter fraud going on in the United States of America. The Brennan Center did a report and in that report they determined that you have a greater likelihood of being struck by lightning than you do to have folks engaging in voter fraud. And you know what Jessica, what's the payoff for it? You're going to jail if you are caught engaging in voting fraud. It's not like one of them crimes, for example, if you're robbing a bank, well, you know what the outcome, you might get away with the cash. What in fact do you get away with? What does it benefit you to knowingly participate in voter fraud? There's no gain for you in that. And just to really highlight how absurd this is. If you've never casted your ballot in this way, showing up to the box, it's in a sealed envelope. It's not open, you seal it shut and you put it in the box. What are they doing by watching this process happen? Nothing, you can't check someone's ID against their ballot because when they're bringing it to the ballot box, it is sealed. There's nothing you can accomplish. There's no fraud you can detect by simply standing out by the ballot box. So really what they were doing was, yeah, maybe getting some vitamin D. What a ridiculous answer, you're there to intimidate voters, let's be real. That's it. And Voter intimidation, let us repeat, is against the law. This group, Clean Elections USA, this is what they had to say. We must legally deter people from committing voter fraud. The only way we can do this is to monitor drop those Dropbox locations with a team of volunteers, yeah, armed volunteers. That is why we're reaching out to patriots like yourself who have similar concerns, in short, we need your help. In short, we full of it. That's what this is about. They are full of it. This should not be allowed and those folks should be arrested on site for voter intimidation. This is wrong. Railroad companies reject paid sick leave. Yep. You heard me right, I wish I did not have to say that, but that is what I said. Railroad companies reject paid sick leave, paid sick leave for their employees. On Unboss, we are pro-union and that's why we are going to put a spotlight on railroad workers fighting for benefits, better benefits, better wages and better work conditions. So paid sick leave has been at the forefront of this fight for our family and for our family and friends at the railroads with the union highlighting horrendous workplace conditions and policies of rail carriers. So unions complain that to manage a shortfall of employees, the carriers effectively force their members to remain on call for days and sometimes weeks at a time, partly through the use of strict attendance policies that could lead to disciplinary action or even firing. Now there was a tentative agreement, we may all remember, there was a tentative agreement reached in September. It was celebrated by rail carriers and the Biden administration. But, but workers were left scratching their heads when key details were missing. Yeah, the proof is always in the pudding, as they say. So union leaders had pushed for 15 days of paid leave, but the proposal deal landed on just one day. What in the unholy hell? Just one day? Just one day, yeah. Just one day, I got to say that just because I can't believe it. It's impossible right now to make heads or tails of what this agreement means. And it's disgraceful how opaque it is, said Ron, a locomotive engineer and member of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen. 
about half of the 115,000 freight rail workers involved in this dispute held out for a concession on scheduling like the ability to see a doctor or attend to a personal matter without risking disciplinary action. Now the union would eventually reject this deal and come to the table with a new proposal, but now they have been shunned. The National Carers Conference Committee rejected a proposal from the third largest rail workers union, which called for just seven days of paid sick leave per year. Jessica, they're not asking for a whole lot. They're really not, not at all. And I mean, the rail industry made 20 billion in profits last year. It's not like they can't afford to give these workers sick leave. Imagine driving a freight train for 10 to 12 hours a day, getting called in at three in the morning. And now they're trying to have one man crews. So you're doing that alone as well. That will exhaust you and you can't even take one day off. They currently have zero sick days. If your your child's being born, if you happen to get so sick that you're in the hospital, you could risk being fired. This is not sustainable for the workers. They are really treating them like they are less than human. And what are they doing with all of their profits that they could be using to give workers very reasonable benefits for the work they're doing? They're buying back their stocks to increase their earnings per share threshold, which will then increase returns to the shareholders of that company while their workers are struggling to get by. And that's what it's all about, just follow the money. This excessive corporate greed is literally killing people mentally and sometimes physically. And the rail workers are not asking for a whole lot. The Biden administration needs to come back and put the hammer on these rail companies. This is totally, totally unacceptable. So workers and industry observers emphasize that the railroad companies, including Union Pacific, CSX and Norfolk Sutherland are seeing record profit margins of around 40%, mostly due to large cuts to headcounts over the past several years. But workers say they haven't benefited. So we got Clark Bayou, a spokesman for the Rail Union Brotherhood of Maintenance of, of Way Employees Division, and he spoke out. He said they'd still be making record profits if they agreed to provide railroad workers paid sick leave. Bayou told the Associated Press, adding that paid sick leave for employees has become a norm in this, in this society. You better believe it. And Clark, he is absolutely right. Check out this data from the US Bureau of Statistics which documents who has access to paid sick leave benefits. And we see private industry workers compared to civilian workers, compared to state and local government workers. In 2010, 63% of private industry workers, civilian workers, 67% and state and government, state and local government workers, 89%. If we come on and fast forward all the way to 2020, 75%, we see the trend going in the right direction. A civilian workers, 78%, and for state and local government workers, 91%. That's right. The this is the right thing to do. Because the very people that are helping this railroad industry make all of those enormous profits deserve the opportunity to take sick leaves. It makes for better production, better output by the employees themselves. Jessica, these folks are not robots, but I get the sneaking suspicion that they are being treated as if they are damn robots. 
Absolutely. And I've heard people say, well, it would be catastrophic if these workers end up going on strike. They're not getting a contract that is fair. That's very clear. And this rail industry controls a third of supply. If they go on strike, it will absolutely disturb supply and people will not have supplies in grocery stores like we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. So people are saying, well, the workers shouldn't strike. It is totally blood on the hands of corporations if we get in that scenario and foods are not on the shelves. I mean, seriously, we cannot let them divide and conquer us. We've talked a lot about solidarity and collective liberation today. And that's super important because exactly what they want us to do is to be fighting each other. And if we're quiet or if we're complicit with their narratives, we're only pawns in their game. So fighting for collective liberation means deciding to not stay quiet and not be a pawn in their game and come together and flip the table instead which is what really needs to happen because they're only going to get more aggressive with this and try and get Congress to have the bosses sign a deal that forces them to work with an unfair contract, which could happen. It could happen, Jessica. This is disgusting. And what is happening with the railroad workers could happen to anybody across this country. And we do need, as Jessica laid out, that kind of collective workers rights solidarity. The federal government can do something about this, Jessica. We cannot accept this as it is. They need to rail in, excuse the pun, these railroad (laughs) bosses and let them know under no uncertain terms, is this acceptable? People deserve, and I am using that word very advisedly. These workers deserve to have paid sick leave. That is not asking for too much. It is a part of what should be happening in the 21st century. This stuff cannot stand. Come on, feds, do your job and stop allowing the rail bosses to take advantage of the workers who actually make this nation run. Like literally make this nation run. We need to do better. We know better and we need to do better and shame on those rail bosses for putting their workers through this. And shame on all of us for accepting it. We got the fight, baby. Speaking of fight, we'll be right back. And welcome back to Unboss. Let's read a few viewer comments, shall we? Craig says, no cowards in a mask are going to stop me from voting. I have a phone with a camera too. Amen to that, Craig, amen. That was from one of our TYT members and on Twitch. Thank you, Pittsburgh Stiller Dragon for gifting five subs to the community. Now, I'm gonna thank you, Pittsburgh Stiller Dragon, but I'm gonna tell you something. Now, you know who I'm up, the Cleveland Browns, but I thank you for that. We got to battle it out (laughs) in football, but thank you so much for the sub. You messing with me, Pittsburgh Stiller Dragon. And then we have Amanda and Amanda says, instant gratification isn't worth it. When our fellow human beings are practically slaves to the company they're working for. Amanda, I could not agree with you more. And that is why when Jessica and I were talking, discussing this story, we put out there very clearly that even we have a responsibility. It's not just about the bosses of these companies, but it is about the type of community and nation that we want to live in. And no, it is not worth people dying. Mm -hmm. Or people being mentally and physically exhausted to get us a package at our door in 24 hours or less. No, it is not worth it. What type of society do we want to live in? And speaking of what type of society do we want to live in? I have one of the most fantastic people, a dear sister girl friend of mine who 
works on this as a ministry on a regular basis. It is her life's work to open our minds and help us to think and to get to the type of world that we want to live in. She always talks about how we all need some miracles. I want to welcome to Unboss the one and only Marianne Williamson. Marianne, it's so good to have you here today. Oh, thank you, Nina. It's always wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for having me on your wonderful new show and congratulations. Thank you very much, I appreciate you. I wanna put up, cuz I just have a whole host of questions for you. But you wrote recently in Transformation in the headline, America Done or America 2.0. And just taken from the first part of that, American history is like a book in which every generation writes a chapter. Some of the chapters have been glorious while others have been tragic. The chapter we're in is one in which we're teetering on an edge between the two. It is a time of precipitous decline and it remains to be seen whether we will create an anti-gravitational force field powerful enough to pull us out of our decline before it's too late. Should we not? This book of American democracy will most probably come to a close. Mary, you didn't miss any words there. They were very eloquent, but you gave it to us straight. What motivated you to just be so straight and, and, and no chaser when it comes to the situation that we're in? And the fact that if we do not collectively act, the ending might not be happily ever after. I don't think I'm seeing anything that millions of people aren't seeing. Um, when it comes to our politics, we're not used to having deep, real conversations. I think when it comes to our personal relationships, the American has deep, real conversations as much as anyone else in the world. But we have all been trained when it comes to our collective issues, our political issues, to think like a bunch of seventh graders. We might tell the truth, but not the whole truth, not nothing but the truth. We don't get deep, we don't get real, we don't get direct, and we don't get blunt. This is not a time to think like seventh graders. The political establishment talks to us like we're children because that's how it retains its power. But if ever there was a time for us to, as Lincoln said, think anew, and act anew. He said, as our case is new, we must think anew and act anew. So there's an old conversation which stays within the box of, oh, we just need to tweak things here, tweak things there. But I think millions of people are aware that something is wrong on a deep and fundamental level. And that if we don't begin having a deeper conversation, a deeper level of truth telling, that we will not remain the way we are. We are either going to fall into the dystopia, a descend into an authoritarian dystopia, or we are going to find a way to leap into, once again, as Lincoln would say, a new birth of freedom. I say it, I think a lot of people say it, but I say it out loud because I enjoy the mischief of doing so. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, it's just a really reflective time for us. I mean, people are struggling. Mary, this is a harsh world right now. We got the war in Ukraine. We still have the pandemic raging. We have people who cannot literally afford their food because the cost of food is so extraordinarily high. Gas prices are up. I think a lot of folks, and you're out there on the ground as I am. As a matter of fact, you're on the ground all over the world. And can you share with us some of what you're hearing both here as you travel the country and as you travel the world about how the everyday person is feeling about the conditions in their respective communities. 
I think a lot of people say, oh, people are apathetic. I don't think people are apathetic at all. I think people are flummoxed. I, I, I think people just don't know what to do. You know, the fact that you're having a difficult time or that you're financially disadvantaged doesn't mean you're not doing the same kind of deep thinking that everybody else is doing. I mean, we're all in the same boat together on a certain level um, in terms of the state of the planet and so forth. I think people realize, as I said before, at least the people I speak to, that something is wrong at the heart of things. This is not, this is a different time. We're at a level of peril now um, that demands fundamental reform, fundamental systemic change. I think we have a critical mass of people who realize that. My sense when I'm out there is that we have a critical mass of people who are open, who realize same old, same old won't fix this, who realize that the status quo will not disrupt itself, who realize that the neoliberal status quo has in many ways taken us to where we are, turned everything into a commodity, turned every person into a consumer. People get it. I think people are open, but know that a serious intelligent conversation about how to fix this, it's not easy. There aren't like a few bullet points that are gonna fix everything. But I sense an openness to a new conversation that actually makes me feel hopeful. Because that's where change will come from. Willingness to have an entirely new conversation and to stop pretending to ourselves. This is the same old, same old will in any way sustain us or lead us to a survivable or thrivable future. And can we get beyond conversation? I mean, is there a sense that even in the understanding of what conditions people are under right now, is it so weighty that folks won't won't move, that they won't act? You know, Killer Mike, Michael Render talks about plot, plan, strategize, you know, mobilize. Are people in that state of mind? Because it's gonna take action of the masses to get the change that we need. Well, that's where you come in, that's where I come in, that's where any anyone who has a public voice comes in, that's where leadership comes in. You know, Nina, my whole career has been um, being up close and personal with people in some of their darkest moments. They just got you know, the, the test back and it's cancer or their child is, is uh, addicted to heroin or something. When you know that, that your situation is one of crisis, You don't necessarily jump into action. You go, wait, I gotta think about this, I gotta think about this. And I think that's where people are, because we do, we have to think about this. Like I said, we've been thinking like children. We've been thinking like spectators, people get that. So we do have to rethink and we can't skip that. But I think absolutely people have the requisite understanding that this is crisis, this is urgent. But first, we do have to have a new conversation. We do have some to have some new formulations, and then absolutely, I think Americans, um, you know, we 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 answer. You and I have this conversation all the time. We did answer slavery with abolition. We did answer the institutionalized oppression of women with the the um, women's suffragette movement. We did answer segregation with civil rights. We have that in our DNA. But the fact that we have to rethink everything, as Lincoln said, is not a bad thing. And then absolutely, I think if we find it within ourselves and we have the appropriate leadership, um, this is the conversation so many of us are having. If enough of us stand forward and say, this is what's really happening, and therefore this is what we need to do. Yes, I sense that people are open, not only to thinking differently, but to acting differently and doing it as quickly as it needs to be done because the situation is urgent. It really is urgent. I mean, we are talking about 
life and death, life and death moments. Uh, for the species, yeah, for our democracy and possibly for our species if over the next 100 years, if we don't make a U-turn. Take some bold it, action. It, it's a big deal for a big ship to turn yeah. around. Yes, um, it is. But that's what we're gonna have to do. It and takes we can. a lot. And we can do it, absolutely we can. The midterms are looming, Marianne. I mean, you ran for president in 2020 seeking the Democratic nomination. You are award winning author. I think four of your 14 books have been bestsellers. As you've laid out there, you've been with people in some of the harshest moments of their lives. You get this from many angles, from a spiritual angle in particular, but also from just being with people on a regular basis, just marrying those coupling rather the the forces. What do you think some of the biggest concerns are right now in the midterm election? Well, clearly people are very upset about economic issues. Inflation is just killing people. I think it's important and I think it's happening that people realize how much corporate greed has to do with this. Also, if we had universal health care, if we had a cancellation of the college loan debt, if we had free college, if we had those things in place, if we had an absence of medical debt, then the severe repercussions of inflation wouldn't be striking people in such a terrible way. So the entrenched way that corporations, this parasitic greed, this this malevolent greed that is now part of the way our political and economic system operates. Inflation is just a result of that. And people, I hope, are realizing that it's not just inflation that's a problem. It's an entire system in which short-term maximization of, uh, of corporate profit is given precedence over people and animals and planet. That's the core problem. And um, this particular result at this particular time of inflation is just one symptom of a deeper disease. Uh, I think people are open to the fact that we need universal health care, that we need to have free college, that we need genuine and fundamental economic reform. Um, we have to, we have to have, as Martin Luther King would say, quantitative shifts in our circumstances and qualitative shifts in our souls. We have yeah. to have some serious changes in policy and also some serious changes in our hearts and how we see who we are and what we owe each other and what we owe to our ancestors and what we owe to our dependents, yeah. our descendants. I think we it, have to go it, much deeper in our souls as well as our politics. Yeah, we do. That's what's going to push the change. Well, Marianne Williamson, it is such a joy and a pleasure to have you here on Unbossed in our second week. You are really a gift, not only to this country and to this world. And I'm so glad that you are deep in your ministry. We love you, Marianne Williamson. Right back at you, Nina Turner. Much love to you and thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. When everything seems to be going against you, Henry Ford once said, remember that an airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. I mean, that's a word for the ages. No matter what we're going through, no matter what is happening in your life, both collectively and individually, I want you to know that you have within you what it takes to push through. So remember those words. When everything seems to be going against you, remember the airplane takes off against the wind. We will continue to stand up and push back against all forms of injustices. Continue to keep the faith, but more importantly, I want you to keep the fight. I'll see you back here tomorrow on Unboss.
Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.